Wednesday, August 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, happy August 1st. Wow. We meet again. August. We're, uh, Whoa. Here we go. Uh, we have got earnings from one of the truly great ticker symbols on the market, and we've got the latest skirmish in the battle for the living room, but we are going to start with MasterCard. Shares of MasterCard down slightly this morning. Joe, I'll start with you. Second quarter earnings grew 15%, but uh, apparently Wall Street wanted a little bit more. What was your thought on their quarter? Uh, I mean, it was, it was a slight miss, but all in all, the story here is definitely intact. Payment volume rose 15%, which is very strong. Uh, you're seeing a lot of great organic growth in all the electronic payment platforms right now. Um, Visa's payment volume increased 11% in the quarter over at PayPal, which is under the eBay umbrella is 20%. So each of these guys is doing very well. And when you look at a high level, still more than 80% of global transactions are done with cash. So that's a lot of room for plastic to step in and still share. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I was interested to see the disparity between the amount that MasterCard had to set aside for the litigation purposes versus Visa this past quarter. It was $790 million for MasterCard and about $4.1 billion for Visa. Now, Visa is significantly larger. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of takes me one step further. I know a lot of people gripe about interchange fees and how these payment processors are making money off of us. But, you know, when you've lived in a society where they don't take cards and you have to do cash everywhere, I think really quickly you understand the value that these payment processors provide. Yep. And from our time in Cairo, Egypt, the time in Astana, Kazakhstan, where cash was king, that's a that's a really difficult hurdle to overcome. And so these payment processors, I think, you know, they don't get enough credit, I think, sometimes for really making our lives a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. They wouldn't be stealing all this share if it weren't, but it's a superior, faster, more convenient, secure product than cash. I want to get to mobile writ large in a second, mobile payment writ large, but uh, let's stick with Visa and MasterCard, because these are the two big players. To your point, Jason, Visa, much bigger. I think Visa's market cap is around $86 billion. Uh, MasterCard somewhere in the mid-50s, like $54, 55000000000 billion. But still, these are, these are the two dominant players in this space. Is Does the Coke-Pepsi analogy work here? Like, are these two the dominant ones? Um, and if so, what is the case for investing in one over the other? What is this thesis for MasterCard over Visa and vice versa? There's a little bit of Coke and Pepsi, but it's it's different because this market is growing at a much, much higher rate than sugar water and will for a long time. <laughs> and market share, you know, it's not winner-take-all. And just like it's not winner-take-all with Pepsi and Coke, I do think there's plenty of room for both these guys to grow and expand their services and branch out, try new things. So, you know, it's similar, but it's different. And I think both are in a position where they're going to do extremely well over the long run. you agree with that? Yeah, it is It is a similar dynamic, although I would say that in most cases, you're not going to choose maybe one financial product or another necessarily because they're saying, well, this is a Visa card versus a MasterCard. A lot of times, you just kind of get what you get and you just make it work. Now, with that said, Visa is by far and away accepted more places, a more prevalent card with close to, I think, 2 billion cards in their system almost. You know, we can't forget about Dr. Pepper, though. I mean, American Express is a, is a strong contender. Uh, uh, I have an, an Amex card. I love it. I think it's a great way to pay for all the household expenses and, and, and a nice rewards program. So that's one to consider as well. How do you think the people at American Express feel about you just comparing them to Dr. Pepper? I love Dr. Pepper, especially <laughs> Diet Dr. Pepper. It's a big compliment. Um, in terms of mobile... Does that discover like the RC Cola? <laughs> Maybe the that's... Jolt Cola? <laughs> Diet, right? <laughs> um, 
when you look at mobile payments, uh, Joe, you mentioned PayPal, but you know Amazon and Google are, are playing in this space. We have startups like Square uh, that are making. Clearly, this is yeah. a growth opportunity. This is a profitable industry that uh, companies are moving into. If you're Visa and MasterCard and you're looking over your shoulder, who you're looking at? What do, what is the big threat here to the to the big traditional credit card companies? Well, I gave a two-hour presentation this weekend on the payment industry uh, to a group of investors. So I'll go ahead and just do the same two-hour <laughs> spiel here, or maybe I'll just shorten it down. But yeah, maybe, with, maybe you should give us the thirty-second. The thirty-second version. version is that I think PayPal is probably the most disruptive force on mobile, and the reason is it's easy and secure. And when you are trying to sell goods through a phone, that is incredibly valuable. It's not really practical to enter your credit card info. And eBay has worked really hard to put PayPal in a lot of apps, worked with developers, and they're gaining share like crazy this year. They'll process about $10 billion in dollar volume through PayPal on mobile for perspective. That's about three times the revenue that Netflix does in a year. So we are talking about a lot of coin flowing through those phones. Jason? I agree with everything you just said there. PayPal is really taking advantage of the advancements in technology for one more reason. I think PayPal is just very well known. People know it. It's easy to remember. It's a brand that people are familiar with, and that, I think, carries a lot of sway in this industry. Yeah, it actually has the highest-rated brand among payment platforms for trust among consumers. And final question on this, uh, Joe, since Jason compared American Express to Dr. Pepper, uh, that would make PayPal what? Honest tea? Mm. Knee-high? Mm. No, not yeah, more like more like an offbeat beverage choice. That's something Jones not, soda. No, <laughs> not the dirt soda. <laughs> Harley Davidson second quarter profits were up thirty percent on higher demand in the U.S. and around the world. Overall revenue, however, fell below expectations, and shares of the great ticker symbol HOG down about five percent this morning. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting. Uh you know, transition from the show yesterday, we were talking about luxury goods like Tiffany and Coach into, into something like Harley Davidson today, which could be argued as, as a luxury good for bikers. You know, I mean, that's not a cheap bike by any means, and it's viewed as an investment, I think, by many as, as they can appreciate in value often. Uh, but not surprising to see that they uh, are, are seeing sales slow down a little bit. I, I, I did note where they called out the weather. I know we always like to sort of note that when the weather's called out, but the, the warmer weather pulled some sales forward from the second quarter, so they did see yep. a little bit of a slowdown because of that. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, as Joe astutely mentioned before the show, people don't like riding their bikes in the cold so much. They like riding in the nice weather, and we've had a really nice warm weather this summer. Um, and again, I think Harley-Davidson, is it's a, it's a name that carries a lot of uh, weight in its industry, and I think it's very it's synonymous with with motorcycle, and so I think the company will continue to do well. But it is worth noting the weakness in Europe, and and I think whether you're an automaker or a bike maker, yeah. uh, the weakness in Europe is is something that's going to be there. I think for a while, it's something they're going to have to contend with. Asia and Latin America were phenomenal performers, though. And Joe, I think it's worth mentioning. I think it was a year, at least a year ago. Uh, Bill Barker, our colleague who works in Motley Fool Asset Management, we were talking about Harley Davidson, and one of the things that he called out in terms of a challenge for that company was the aging demographic and how essentially yeah. they had to get younger. And when you look at the results and and the comments from uh, the company uh, for this latest quarter, it seems like they're making some uh, some headway in that regard with uh, regard to getting a younger demographic appealing to more women as well. It seems it seems like despite the the miss here, yeah. the company seems to be doing pretty well. 
Yeah, a little bit on the North American side. I agree with Bill's broader point in the U.S., but I do think this is one of those iconic American brands along the lines of, say, like a Johnny Walker, which isn't actually American. <laughs> um, so maybe we'll take that one back. But it's something that Giaggio, a beverage company, has done extremely well, and you could say Coca-Cola, too, is they take iconic, aspirational brands. Uh, you know, Coach would be a good one. Uh, I know they stumbled recently, but they've been doing very well in Asia. And you take these brands and bring them outside the U.S., and they have a lot of cachet. Uh, you know, one fascinating thing with Harley is that one of their biggest competitors is their older bikes. Uh, Harleys are kind of like Rolexes in that they maintain their value very well over time that they're taken care of. So, you know, sometimes the big question is, do I buy a new Harley or do I buy a certain older model that I happen to like? So, interesting challenge. Uh, BMW also reported earnings, and their latest earnings down 28% uh, for the quarter. And, Jason, we were talking before we started taping. Uh, on the one hand, BMW is saying we're dealing with higher costs, we're investing more in, in our manufacturing, and we're dealing with the debt crisis in Europe. But they didn't lower guidance. So, on the one hand, that's, I suppose, encouraging. But it, it, leads, to, it leads me to sort of this... Uh, thought that we touched on earlier where I look at BMW's results and Harley's results, and we talked recently about Ford and GM. Is there any automaker who is immune from what's going on in Europe and the economic slowdown in China? Because it seems like unless you're a niche player, that's just the cost of doing business right now for an automaker, whether it's Ford or Harley-Davidson. Yeah, I think I think most every automaker out there that has any type of of wide reach is going to be uh, subject to this in some capacity. I mean, you look at something like Tesla, for example, which I can't imagine suffers from this at all because they're selling so few cars and the technology is still relatively new and, and it hasn't been perfected yet. But whether you're GM, Ford, or BMW, or Mercedes, I mean, all of these car makers are going to be facing these headwinds in some capacity. Some just have um, you know, a better ability to cope with it than others. Joe, you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And, you know, GM in particular is getting hit really hard in Europe right now, and that's going to be an ongoing trend. Um, you know, one thing that when you look a little higher level kind of pops out when we're talking about BMW and Harley Davidson and how they might be struggling a little bit is that having an iconic brand doesn't necessarily translate to profits. I mean, everyone can agree BMW is a great brand, same with Mercedes, same with Hogg. But you know, over the long term, profits haven't been phenomenal at these businesses. And part of the reason is you need to couple with that high barriers to entry, great distribution, marketing, and some, you know, uh, consolidated nature of the industry so that people aren't fighting on price in order to take advantage of that. So, like, for example, that's what you have with Coca-Cola, where they have all those things combined with a great brand, and they make a lot of money off that. Whereas when you're selling cars, it's really tough to, to get the total package. Cutting the cord just got a little easier. Hulu Plus, the subscription video service, is now an app on Apple TV. Hulu Plus costs $8 a month and includes limited advertisements. And Jason Moser, I think you just kicked the tires on this one, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I, I just uh, this, this came about yesterday evening. We got home. We have a little Apple TV device at home. And I think the one thing that was really preventing me from trying Hulu was that it it was only something we could really access on you know like our iPad, but we couldn't get it on our TV. Um, 
now with the Apple TV device set up, we can. Uh, so I surfed around last night. Excellent interface. Worked really well. I, I think, you know, the advantage that Hulu has over something like Netflix is, we've, we always talk about this, it's newer content. So if I want to watch, you know, the Colbert Report or Jon Stewart's Daily Show, I mean, I could get yesterday's episodes on Hulu immediately. Um, yes, I got to deal with a couple of commercials, but if it's what I want to watch, then it's what I would want. It's what I want to watch, and, and that's that to me is is worth it. Um, I think the other interesting development here this morning, which is going to probably turn the tides even a little bit more, it's something I think a lot of us have been waiting for, was Amazon's Prime streaming app, which has just come out. Um, I loaded that on my iPad. I know Joe and I were talking about this earlier. It, yeah. It's pretty slick. It's very similar to the interface that Netflix has there. And, um, you know, you're a Prime member, then you get all your streaming for free. And so I think it's it's a big deal. A lot of stuff changing in this space really fast. Yeah. I mean, the, the Prime streaming experience isn't as great. The selection isn't as great as Netflix. But on the other hand, it costs 80 bucks a year to get Prime. And that includes free two-day shipping with Amazon and free streaming, whereas it's 8 bucks a month for Amazon streaming. So you're actually paying more, quite a bit more money at Netflix and, you know, to each their own. But uh, it is a compelling value proposition if you're a regular Amazon shopper and like watching movies online. Amazon just released earnings, uh, you know, a few days ago. And in the release, it was just interesting to see how they really were touting the value that Prime uh, holds. I mean, they don't always do that. I mean, they always mention Prime and about what you get with it. But it seemed in this release, they were they were talking about it a little bit more so than, than, than normal in that, you know, the one thing that hasn't changed with Prime is the price. It's still $79. Kind of makes me wonder if we're not getting set up for a possible price increase at some point. <laughs> but by the same token, I think that most people would pay it. Uh, I know I would, and it's very similar to what Costco did. People yeah. paid it. When you are getting value for what you're paying for, it's it's very easy to accept that $5 incremental price increase. So while we may see an increase down the road here, I think it's well worth it, especially when you see uh, you know this slick new app like this. Yeah, just to bring it back to the Hulu on the Hulu, to bring it back to Hulu on the Apple TV, I think this is a smart move from Apple where they're starting to loosen up their platform a little bit. You know, they're notoriously yeah. tight. Closed about keeping, in the past. Yeah, exactly. And I think with TV, that's just a space where you can't afford to do that. You need to instead be more platform agnostic. And I think it's smart for them to kind of welcome some competitors on there. They're better off being open and selling more Apple TVs and driving a wedge in to actually be part of the market. And then they can play hardball, but they can't afford to play hardball this early in the game when they don't have any real competitive strength. So where are we now in the battle for the living room? As we've talked about in the past, you've you've got the, the players that we've already discussed, but you've also got companies like... <laughs> Uh, Verizon, who are sort of you know running the pipes, um, you've got cable companies like Comcast, and you've got Microsoft. And you look at Microsoft and the Xbox systems and the tens of millions of uh, members that they have there. They're a player. When you look at the the latest uh, iteration of the battle for the living room, who's in good shape and who is increasingly at risk, Joe? Well, Comcast is a name that you know we always trash on this show for a lot of good reasons, but it's easy to forget that the old content providers as we know them in the form of cable companies are still far and away winning this war. Apple TV gets a lot of play, but it is a dwarf compared to Comcast. And you know, similar cable operators out there, Verizon Communications, right now they're still ruling that. And I think they're going to be holding on to that position for a long time. But I think you've got some names like, I mean, Netflix is still a threat here, uh, certainly. And Apple is trying to wedge their way in the door. Google's doing the same thing. But 
for a long time to come, I think the Comcast of the world are still going to be ruling that. Jason? Yeah, we got to go back to where it all begins. And with Verizon and Comcast, that's how you're getting your internet to begin with. And because all of our entertainment is coming through those pipes, those are the ones that really control a lot of the power. I will say it's it, we've talked about this a lot in regard to Apple TV and sort of the iPad on the wall concept. But I think that what we're seeing here is is – Certainly, they are going to focus, at least for now, on building out that platform via just a little Apple TV device. So while Joe's right, it is small potatoes right now, I I, I do think they're going to continue to work on building that platform out. And because of the familiarity with Apple... And because you know people know how to use iPads and iPhones and, 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 and you know are okay with that interface, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this really take off. Is there a dark horse people should watch, or is this, or is the field pretty well set to the companies we've talked I, about? I don't think YouTube gets enough attention here because when yeah. you know I was just looking through my the Apple TV interface last night again, and YouTube is very prominent right there, and Google has the pockets to keep on investing in that, and they are. So I don't think it gets enough credit, and I think YouTube is going to be a big factor in this going forward. Yeah, there, I was going to say there was a story in the journal I think yesterday about. About uh, YouTube spending money on yeah. original content yep. and even signing up people like Amy Poehler to to produce programming for them. Joe, what do you think? I think you're going to see a lot more of that. They're trying to shift it from you know kind of the old joke about people watching videos about cute cats to <laughs> something more where it's around like a television cable experience where you're subscribing to channels instead and because of that there are more ways to monetize i think they're doing a great job of that of at youtube under the you know google umbrella and really really ramp that up better content coming in more eyeballs are coming in and overall it's just a a surging experience that I think will keep growing. I hope that doesn't change too soon because I am working on a video series about stocks for cats, <laughs> so I'm hoping to combine the two. I'm excited about it. Um, uh, just to wrap up, give me a TV recommendation. We talk about movie recommendations, but with you know entire seasons of television shows online that I can access through Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu Plus. What do you think, Jason? Give I'm, me a, I'm a big Breaking Bad fan. Um, introverted high school chemist, chemistry teacher turned, you know gangster almost <laughs> so the Jason meth, Moser story meth producer it's a it's a it's an awesome show on AMC and I can't recommend it highly enough Joe West Wing season two Aaron Sorkin at his best Joe Maker Jason Moser guys thanks for being here thank thanks. you as always people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear that's it for this edition of Market Foolery our producer is Matt Greer I'm Chris Hill thanks for listening we'll see you tomorrow we'll see you tomorrow